Welcome, everybody. I know some folks are still um, joining on, and that is great. Um, I just want to remind everybody that this webinar is being provided for educational and informational purposes only. Nothing in this discussion is intended to constitute medical advice or recommendation, diagnosis, or treatment. Um, and that's just our standard start uh, because Dr. Allen is a licensed medical practitioner. But um, I think the context and the content we're talking about today, that's pretty clear. Uh, it is also going to be recorded. I'm going to turn it over to Kristen and, and let you get us started. Yeah, so I just really want to thank all of you for coming and especially thank Chan for, for agreeing to, to lead this. Um, I'm going to let you read about, you know, all the amazing things that he's done. He's a researcher the University of Oklahoma, and he's an author. If you haven't read his book, uh, Hope Rising, please do. Um, but I, I wanted to keep this a little more personal in terms of introduction, um, because um, one of the things as a, as a spir spiritual practitioner of Aikido, one of our tenets is that how we treat ourselves is how we treat other people. And that, and that spreads out in waves. And, and it's one of the things that I really appreciate about Chan's work. But my first meeting of him, he, um, like, I think you can, I think there's lots of things that are infectious. And one of those things is, besides viruses is, is hope and compassion and love. And the first time I saw him, he was sitting beside, behind a table at, at, in Kitsap, and he was the keynote speaker, and he uh, was clearly learning how to work a iPad and a square thing to 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 collect credit cards to sell his book, and and he like he, he seemed to be new at it, but he he somehow was like staying really present with himself. But then then what was remarkable to me watching this is that he would set it down. He'd finally get the purchase done, and he'd set it down. And he would turn to the person in front of him as though no one else existed and have this really intimate moment with them. And I heard this voice in my head say, he needs somebody to help him sell those books. <laughs> and, and then another voice said, you should go help him, which I, I like to be useful. That is true. But I, Natasha can attest to this. I loathe technology and that I would step forward and say, can I help you sell your books so that you can do this thing that you're clearly really good at, which is to be present for people. And he looked at me and he said, do you know how to work this? And I'm like, no, I do not, but I will figure it out. And, but, but why I think that moment in my life was significant is that I, just watching him with his self work through the pro, taking small little steps, I trusted him to not, to be kind to me through my learning process, which as a dyslexic, I tend to avoid. Um, thing you know like we all will have to choose like what we're what we're going to step into and that somehow his practice of hope drew me in at that moment and um and 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 it just reminded me of how uh how we how we treat ourselves like can can have this ripple effect and then and then it was also just remarkable that um 
that like, so we're selling books and he's signing books and then somebody's like, you have to go do the keynote. And, and, and he, he gets up to leave and, and he just, you know, he's like, I'll see you later. And he doesn't even know my name at this point, I don't think. And, and he just trusted that I would return all of his belongings to him, even though this was like four or 500 people in this conference. And, um, and, and I was just like, oh, yeah, this, this, is, this is how we should all be with each other. You know, it would be different. And so um, I read his, bought his book, re read his book, um, and, and, it's, uh, and it's really been transformative to how I work with people, which was also refreshing after being in practice for 10, 15 years. So uh, it's been really wonderful having having him in my orbit and to think about what he has to offer. And so hopefully today he will give you some some things as well. And and I hope that uh, part of this intention is he's been traveling around the country doing a lot of speaking to groups and he really requested that this be a dialogue. And so um, I'm putting that story forward so that so that maybe if you're reluctant to dialogue in, in, in this kind of context that, that it's comfortable for you to stretch and do that because um, it's, it's, it's wonderful to have those moments that, that can happen. So uh, that's my introduction to Chan and he has a few slides that he's gonna talk about what he does in case you're new to his work and, and then maybe we'll have a dialogue. Okay. Well, thank you uh, very much, uh, Chris. I was, uh, um, that was in Kitsap, if I recall. Yeah, it was in Kitsap, uh, yeah. yeah. So anyway, fond, uh, fond memory of Kitsap. And, and uh, I say this uh, pretty frequently, uh, Washington is by far uh, my favorite state to, to be in. And I was supposed to be there a couple of weeks ago. Obviously, that, that was canceled. But uh, anyway, I look forward to the next time I'm out in, in your beautiful state. So yeah. and. I would live there if I could convince my family to move with me. <laughs> uh, and if I could keep my job as a professor, I guess that's yeah. important too. So yeah. anyway, well, I'll, uh, I'll go through a few slides and I do, I do want to emphasize that um, it is much more enjoyable for me to have a conversation uh, rather than just um, set up here and, or sit here and talk um, and, and present a few slides. So I, uh, I actually use the questions to help guide the research that we undertake over the next year or so. Uh, so it's, uh, it's very much appreciated and, and welcome. Uh, so I hope we get to have a chance to have a, a bit of a conversation. So let me go ahead and, and just go through these slides uh, uh, and I quickly. And I think you need to share them. Yeah, right. Yeah, I, and I'll confirm uh, that you can see them. Yep. You good? Yep. Great. Okay. Um, so just real quickly, um, I've been uh, studying hope for a little over 10 years now. Um, I am a quantitative psychologist by training. Uh, that means my PhD is in statistics and research methods. And I've spent my professional career working with uh, human service nonprofit organizations, primarily in the areas of uh, child abuse, domestic violence, homelessness, poverty, um, really difficult situations. And what interests me is how uh, powerful hope is in helping um, us uh, respond to uh, adversity, uh, how important hope is in helping us overcome 
um, adversity. Um, and what I'll say is that uh, hope is good for everybody. Uh, it's not just uh, the trauma and adversity that I have focused my work on. Um, but that's, that's just where um, my, my kind of passion is, uh, is doing, doing that work. So, um, so before I <clears throat> start talking, and this would be nice if you could put this in the chat, um, but when you think about the word hope, um, what I'd like for you to do is just think uh, for a moment or two, what, what does that word mean for you? What, what comes to mind uh, when you think about this word hope? And again, I encourage you to use the chat function to, to write that in, uh, if possible. As you're also writing that in and reflecting on that, um, what I'd like to ask is, do you think that hope is a feeling that we have? Uh, or is hope um, more of a thought process, a way of thinking? And as you're typing, I'll ask you not to use the word both. Um, because that's the one everybody uses, uh, is that it's both. But I'd like for you to go ahead and make a commitment. If, if you were gonna say, is it more an emotion or more of a cognition? Yeah, and here's the way we define it. Hope is the belief that your future will be better than today and that you have the power to make it so. So I think of hope as a way of thinking, not as a feeling, but a way of thinking. And the reason that that is so important is because hope can be taught. Hope is something that can be learned uh, by children, uh, by adults, by families, um, in different uh, contexts. So thinking about that definition, hope is the belief that the future will be better than today. If we stopped there, that's optimism. It's the last part that really distinguishes hope. That is that you have the power to make it so. And what I mean by that is that hope is actionable. Hope is something um, that we can take steps towards to achieve that uh, future perspective. So if I wanna break that down a little more, then hope is comprised of three basic ideas, goals, pathways, and willpower. Uh, goals are really the focus of hope, and they can be either in the short term uh, or the long term. We can be focused on things that we're doing today, things we're doing uh, this week, things we're doing this month, or things that we're doing in much longer uh, increments. The key to this idea is that the goal must be valued. And it's important when you're working with clients or um, working with children in particular, uh, because we have to remember that it's the goals that they desire not our goals for them. Um, so th the goal has to be desired by the individual. Once we have our goals identified, the question becomes, do we have the mental roadmaps necessary to pursue those goals? Do we have the pathways uh, to, to identify how to get there from here? Pathways thinking also includes problem solving. So identifying what the barriers are and the ability to overcome that. And then the final part, willpower, uh, is the me mental energy that we have to um, engage in our pathway pursuits. Now, in psychological terms, the word that we use is agency, to be agentic. Um, it's a pretty complex term, 
um, comprises a whole host of different things like self-efficacy. Um, I prefer the word willpower uh, because it is that mental, it's that intentional uh, energy that we put towards our pathways. And the reason I don't use agency is because I work with a lot of human service agencies and we confuse whether or not we're talking about willpower or the organization. So goals, pathways, willpower. And that's the complexity of hope. It really is that simple. The idea is that you have to have both willpower and way power to be considered hopeful. You have to have both. So it may be that I'm highly motivated for the goal. I really desire the goal. I have a lot of willpower and energy that I'm putting into this goal that I desire, but I don't know how to get there from here. I don't, I don't have a strategy. We would consider that to be lower in hope because you have to have both. You have to have willpower and way power. Now, the other scenario is that we may have the pathways to achieve the goal. I'm just not interested in doing that work. I'm not motivated to follow that path. And so an example might be a fifth grade child who's um, not really motivated to study, not really motivated to use tutors, um, not really motivated to join study groups, all of these different pathways that can help them achieve a better grade. So again, lower in hope. So I just wanna be clear that, goal, that hope is about goals, pathways, and willpower. So think for just a second how often you use this word, hope, how often we use it every day. So this would be another opportunity to use the chat function. So think about some of the ways we use hope. Um, I'm in Oklahoma, obviously, and it's uh, uh, kind of stormy here today. And it might be that I would say, oh, I hope it doesn't rain today. Um, or if I meet you um, um, somewhere and I say, oh, I hope you're well. Um, what, what, what I want to distinguish is that when we have willpower, when we're highly motivated for something, but we don't have the pathways, that's actually a wish. And so what I wanna make sure we understand is the difference between hope and a wish. Hope is about action. It's about taking action to achieve your goals. Now, I'm gonna go through these slides pretty quickly from this point uh, on so that we can have a little bit of a discussion, but I wanna give us a real quick example of how hope operates through goal setting, pathways development, and uh, willpower. So what I'll ask uh, you to do, um, and this, this example usually works pretty well. Um, so what I'd like to do is ask, um, how many of you, and I can't see everybody, but uh, how many of you know how to drive or have attempted to drive a stick shift or manual vehicle, right? So uh, being able to switch gears, to let that clutch out and to start. Uh, there's about four or five really key takeaways with this slide, so I'll really try to highlight these. So for those of you who've never driven a stick shift car, what I would ask is, um, can you imagine yourself trying to do that? Can you imagine yourself letting that clutch out? And here's the first key takeaway. Imagination is the instrument of hope. We have to be able to imagine the future 
in order to begin to pursue it. So let's assume that uh, here's our goal. Our goal is we want to drive, but the only pathway we have available for us is this stick shift car. If we're gonna drive, we're gonna have to navigate that. So what I want you to do is think about that very first time you drove that stick shift car and that just think for a few moments about letting that clutch out for the very first time. So we have the car started, we have the clutch depressed, we'll assume that you're in first gear because um, it could be third gear, it could be fifth gear, um, but we'll assume you're in that uh, first gear. And so as you start to let uh, that clutch out for the very first time, what is your goal in that moment? What is your goal? And oftentimes what people will say is not to kill the car. And so what I want to highlight is we tend to set goals in one of two ways. We either set achievement goals or we set avoidance goals. And when we're in a kind of a high stress, high pressure environment, we have a tendency towards avoidance goals. And it's the nature of those goals that drive the way we think about pathways. So the idea is that we let that clutch out and in fact, we stalled the car, we killed the, the car. So what I want you to remember is what was the self-talk? What was, what was going through your mind as you just stalled the car? And I will tell you that oftentimes it is things like, I can't do this, I'll never get this. And that is the self-talk of a low hope individual. Low hope individuals are filled with the I can'ts. And they are oftentimes, they, they look at new goals with a focus on failure. And so they'll come at these with a very negative framework. Now, the question is, um, after you stalled the car or killed the car, um, did you give up? And for many of us, we didn't give up. And here's the next big, big takeaway. The more you desire the goal, the more you're going to face adversity to try to overcome it in that pathway thinking. So we start the car again, we let the clutch out. Uh, this time we're lurching forward, we actually are driving. So the third time we get in the car, we let the clutch out and we kill the car. But this time we have a little bit of a change in the way we're thinking, right? Our self-talk is now, it's moved from the I can't to the, well, I've done this before, I can do this again. And here's the, here's the takeaway with that. Hope begets hope, and that is really critical. So that if we set somebody up for a short-term, immediate success, it makes the future possible. And that is how we begin to nurture hope. And so pretty soon, we're driving, and we're, we're driving the car. So that's the pathways piece. The next part is really about how well can you manage the willpower during this process? So how much of your mental energy is required when you first let the clutch out? Almost all of it. How much is required today when you drive? You know, virtually none of it. So we have to be able to manage that willpower. And oftentimes, especially in human service programs, our pathways, that is the programs, make the assumption that the child, the family, the adult can, can dedicate all of that willpower to the program and it's just not possible because the rest of life is going on right we have to be able to attend to many other things going on in our lives 
And ultimately what we've learned is that unmitigated trauma is not an attention detractor. It's in fact a hope robber. Uh, trauma tends to rob us of hope. So that's kind of the goals, pathway, willpower. And the core of my work has been focused in, as we begin to understand the core components of trauma, what do we do about that? And my work has been focused on how do we nurture hope in the context of adversity and stress? And so uh, hope is what we do about that. So this will be another opportunity for you to use the chat room. Um, and so this is a question I ask in every uh, presentation that I give. So go ahead and type in if you have a chance uh, or can think about what is the opposite of hope? And Natasha, if you don't mind, can mm -hmm. you just maybe see sure. what pops up? Apathy, despair. Despair, okay. Uh, despair is usually despair what again. I, yeah. yeah. Despair is usually the response mm -hmm. uh, that we get. Yeah. And what I'll tell you is that the opposite of hope is in fact apathy. Um, despair is still a piece of hope. That is, we still desire the outcome. It's just that our goals have been significantly blocked. Apathy, by the way, is when we believe that no matter what we do, the outcome has already been decided. No matter what we do, we're going to fail at the goal. So why try? And that is the complete loss of motivation towards uh, a goal. <clears throat> so real quickly, what uh, the focus of my research has been on is where do we focus our attention? And this is the willpower piece. So on any given day, at any given moment, where is your mental energy going? So what I'll ask you, and I'm going to wrap this up pretty quick so we can talk, but what I'd like for you to do is to take, uh, and I'm going to give us about 20 or 30 seconds, but I, what I'd like for you to do is to close your eyes for a moment and just let your mind wander. And at a particular point, I'll bring us back. So just let your mind go. Okay. So um, what I'd like for you to do is just to reflect. Um, this would be a good opportunity to use the chat room again, but um, what we're learning is that at any given time, we're either thinking about the future or reflecting in the past. Rarely are we in fact present uh, with the given moment. Now, I didn't let you have enough time and wonder, but what research shows us consistently is we're either thinking about the future or we're reflecting on the past. That is where our willpower is actually placed. Now, that can be either positive or negative, um, right? And so what our research tells us is that in the presence of adversity, we are much more likely to be on the negative side of thinking about the future or the past. We, we're much more, think about what's going on right now and when this first really started to hit we're much more engaged in worrying about the future or ruminating on the past of things we could have or should have done. Um, and so what happens is, is when we get stuck on these negative sides is we're more likely to suffer. That is, we're more likely to experience negative emotions. We have um, emotional coping strategies. And what happens in this framework is we get caught up in the fear of worry 
And that fear uh, leads us to an emotional response. And you can see it in your communities. You can see it watching the news and how fear feeds off of fear, uh, which can lead to social isolation and to ultimately despair. So we have to figure out how to interrupt that so that people can become much more hopeful because when their scores, when their hope scores go up, they're more likely to flourish, even in the presence of adversity. So you saw the stick shift car. What I want us to do is to reflect on our experiences over the past three or so weeks, right? And we have our valued goal, we have our normal way of going through those pathways, and then this adversity hits us, right? This crisis, this fear, and how that influences our willpower. Where does our energy go? It goes to worry and rumination. And for people who are lower in hope, it's harder for them to get back up in that framework, right? It's, it's that barrier. And so we get into that despair. What we found is that higher hope individuals can revise that pathway, right? They can say, okay, we have to find a new way to do things. So instead of me being in Washington presenting, we have to take, take advantage of this Zoom framework. Uh, there's other strategies that we're doing, these other pathways that are emerging so that we can manage the willpower to overcome this adversity uh, in our time. So um, just sort of something I've been reflecting on uh, in that framework. We know how to nurture hope. We know how to do this process. Um, the book talks about it, um, and I'd be happy to talk a little bit more um, in that framework. But, and I think this is my last slide, um, is that um, we, we know these strategies, right? Uh, we can introduce the basic concepts. We know to set goals. We know to start listing and prioritizing potential pathways. Uh, finding things that motivate us, looking for hope models in our life. What I've been encouraging, what I've been doing interviews with local and regional and national television and podcast and other things, what I've been really focused on is we really need to pay attention to the hope models in our community or our hope heroes, people who are finding new ways to achieve connectedness or to achieve um, well-being. Um, so I think with that, um, I'm tired of hearing myself talk. Um, <laughs> and uh, I've heard the presentation before, so I want to get out of that. Um, yeah. So I, I have a whole bunch of questions. Um, but um, but uh, let's, we have a question that came in. I'll let Natasha speak. Yeah. For the chat room. So uh, the question is, is there a formal hope training? Yes. <laughs> and uh, I was actually, uh, during uh, March 16th through whatever that week, I was going to be all along I-5 for a full week doing trainings, um, hope-based trainings. They're about, uh, uh, they're half day, full day, and two day increments. And we're, uh, we've also developed a training framework, a two day training framework to create what we call hope navigators. Um, and these are individuals who uh, become certified to go back into their communities to uh, do hope presentations to help communities and organizations begin to become hope centered. So yes, there is. Uh, the really exciting news is that um, 
we had originally planned to launch in June. That is obviously getting pushed back. Uh, we're thinking October. Um, but we are actually finishing up the development of a digital platform uh, so that we can have uh, a lot of that training is something that you can engage in uh, via online learning um, and certification process. So more to come on that, but, but yes, you actually have several people in the state who are very well versed uh, in HOPE um, already. Um, but I, I was just a couple of emails today. I will be back in Washington as soon as they let us travel. And, uh, and I'll reach out to, uh, to folks um, and um, you know, let you know where I'm at and, and where those trainings will be. Great, thank you. We thank will you. Look, look forward to posting those trainings for those who are on this group so that they know about it. Um, and continue to put your questions in um, and why people are thinking about that. I, I was wondering um, if you could help distinguish the difference between hope uh, and resiliency. Like there, 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 there seems to be some overlap, but then I've heard you say, no, they're different. And yeah. like, I, and I don't quite have them. I think I keep trying to clarify them, but I would love to. Sure. Again. Sure. We actually just published a uh, paper uh, on this, actually two places that we've published uh, addressing this question. And the first, uh, the first one I'll refer to is in a, one of the top tier scientific journals called Traumatology, um, oh, yeah. because people who do trauma work are very interested in resilience. Um, and so we actually uh, conducted a couple of research studies. And what we found is that hope is actually a better predictor of our capacity to thrive than resilience. Um, and I'm, here's my, my response, is that I believe that hope is the mindset that drives resilient behaviors. Mm -hmm. I, I think that you have to have this future expectation and a pathway to get there in order to sustain adversity um, or to, um, bounce back depending upon the definition or to adapt um, yeah. in, in that framework. The other place that's a little more accessible is ACEs Connection. We actually, yeah. if you Google um, my name and Dr. Seuss, uh, which by the way was a personal goal of mine, um, that, <laughs> nice. that, that people can do that. Uh, <laughs> um, but uh, the single best book ever written on hope is Oh, the Places You'll Go by Dr. Oh, yeah. Seuss. I think that is just a fantastic book. Yeah. Um, and we actually address it with ACEs Connection uh, there as well. And I will tell you that my co-author, um, I, I am much more sort of uh, verbal about the differences um, be between those. But I also recognize that I have to be very careful because people who have been spending a significant amount of time doing resilience work, uh, I do not want to bash that at all because uh, I'm just coming at it from a very academic. And if we're going to build evidence-based strategies to give people to, to, to nurture our capacity to thrive, then we have to do a much better job at uh, understanding what resilience is and what are the strategies to achieve that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Thank you. 
And Chan, what a, there's a question in the chat box about what about faith? So how does Ooh, oh, faith, I love this question. Sure. Yeah, fit in. So right, right before, um, in fact, was right in the middle of the COVID here in Oklahoma. I was doing, I was working with a, a large church. Um, who asked the same question and they brought all their small groups right from around Tulsa collectively together for us to spend four weeks addressing this question what is the difference or the relationship between faith and hope so here's my first overall answer and <clears throat> I think if you think about hope as goals pathways and willpower we also have to have an understanding of what is it that drives the goals that we set, right? What is it that drives which pathways we consider? And so I think that hope or that faith is a moral compass that helps me choose which goals I value and which pathways are righteous. Now, I'm not saying that you have to be faith, a person of faith in order to have hope. I'm just saying that in order to be hopeful, we also have to understand what's driving, what values drive the goals we set. And for many people, faith becomes that framework, whether it's Christianity, uh, Judaism. Um, I worked with U.S. Army Chaplain Corps, so um, many, many different faiths being uh, represented. I think they're connected uh, in that framework, um, but I'm, I am trying to understand the answer to that. Well, I've traveled to, to Israel a couple of times and have been having conversations with a couple of imams, trying to just get a sense, a better sense, a deeper sense of the answer to that question. I love the question. I don't know the answer. Um, <laughs> I, I gave you kind of a placeholder of where my head is with it. Yeah. Great question. Yeah, nice. And um, what is your favorite quote about hope? Uh, uh, let's see. I love Mother Teresa's, uh, we must give hope, always hope. Um, let's see. Uh, Martin Luther King Jr. Had a, had a really good one. Uh, Hunger Games is probably... Mm -hmm. One of my favorite, um, the only thing that can overcome fear is hope. Um, and that's why you only give a little bit of hope, right? The president would only allow a little bit of hope because mm -hmm. too much hope is dangerous. Um, Shawshank Redemption has a great quote on hope. Uh, hope um, is the best of things. So anyway, yeah, I have a few. <laughs> a a, a follow-up question that came into that is, do you have your own quote to share? Hope is a social gift. Um, I, I, that is, uh, I, am, I am so committed to that, that I believe that hope uh, is built in relationships with others. It is not built in isolation. And um, some of the things that I've been studying, um, because I do so much work in the area of trauma uh, with schools, with teachers, with counselors, um, you know, one of the questions or statements that I'll get is, you know, a, a teacher or a volunteer, a mentor, somebody will say, well, I'm not a therapist. And um, what I'll talk about is that um, all of us have the opportunity to interact with somebody very informally for such a short amount of time that can be such a therapeutic moment for that individual mm -hmm. 
right? Um, a simple, authentic recognition that that person matters can be so powerful. Uh, hope is a social gift. Is uh, If you have my book and have a signature or have me sign it, you'll see that I will tell you to thank you for sharing the gift of hope. It is, it is something we share with each other. Nice. Kristen, we're going to go back to you for, for another okay. one of the questions you had in mind. Um, so one of the things that, um, that I often get as, as a speaker around, um, I think uh, Protein for All is partly about um, sharing hope and, and particularly keeping, keeping in the willpower, but like, what do you, how do you approach people who are in despair, are in apathy and like how, how do you move, like what recommendations do you yeah. have about moving them from that place? Sure. Yeah. Well, that's, that's actually where I really enjoy doing the work actually. Um, so I, I, I have more experience working in despair um, and it's not easy. It's not a five-minute conversation. And before I forget, what I want to want everybody to maybe hear is that you know I've I've conducted about a hundred and fifty plus studies on hope now. Uh, so you know there's there's not very many areas I might not have an opinion about because of 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 that. So please, any question you have, I'm I'm fair game. Uh, for that, but um, it starts with goal setting, um, Kristen. And when when you're working with somebody in despair, they're going to be very resistant to thinking about this, especially if they're in apathy. You know, they they just don't care uh, anymore. And if we recognize that um, it is goals they desire, that's where I start. I, I really want to understand, you know, what is it that you want to achieve? And when you're working with somebody in apathy, you know, the, the response you're going to get is, I don't have any goals, right? Um, and so I really start to, to break that down into, well, what areas of your life make you happy, you know? And, well, I like being with my friends. It's like, oh, great, great. What are some things you'd like to do? What are some goals you'd like to have with your friends? And then once they can identify the goal, then I start helping them step that backwards. And okay, in order to do that, what has to happen? In order to do that, what has to happen? Mm -hmm. And I step it back so that they can see that what they're working on today is actually a pathway to the goals that they desire. And you'll start to see the willpower mm -hmm. uh, increase. Mm -hmm. um, and that works really well with children. Um, as well as adults. Adults are a little more resistant because they've had more failed attempts mm -hmm. uh, than, than children. But, yeah. 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 Um, how do you, how do you talk to people about those failed attempts? Like it's, you know, it's this kind of, as somebody who study, studies the brain, like one of the things that I know is that like the brain learns from, from failure, but like nobody wants to hear that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. Know, like. yeah. Well, um, yeah. And it, it, um, if you have a history of failed attempts, um, in a, in a less than supportive environment, it has a little different effect than yeah. if you have failed attempts on a certain, yeah. you know, right. so there's right. kind of some nuances there, yeah. but, um, 
you know, one of the things that I'll, I'll also do is I'll ask somebody, um, you know, maybe I'll ask everybody in this group to think about a time in your life when you've overcome something really, really hard and you've achieved that goal, right? Um, something that you really, that nobody else expected you to be able to do, but you know, when, when was the time? And then what I do is I just start to break that apart into the goals, pathways, and willpower. You know, um, what were your goals? What was, you know, um, did, you, did you have any barriers in that? Did you have to change your pathways? Because what I'm going to do is start getting into a conversation to hear that individual who's actually overcome things before. They're a hopeful person. They just have to remember it, mm-hmm. right? Nice. They, they have this skill. They've, we've all overcome something very difficult before. Um, it's just like this, where we are right now. Um, you know, it is scary. It is, uh, it is uncertain. In Oklahoma, the worst is coming. Um, I mean, it's, it's going to get worse here. And, um, but at the same time, we, we as a community, um, uh, have overcome so many difficult things before, you know, we're in tornado alley. And, um, so what have, what, what can we learn from, from that? What can we remember from that? I, you know, I, I, I think about nine 11 and how scary that was and how uncertain it was. And, you know, we have a much safer system today. Uh, it's not, I don't want to downplay how horrible and horrific that was, but we're going to get through this and we're going to, we're going to achieve some really amazing things through this process. Hmm. So we have to remember not, you know, that's not, that's not the power of positive thinking. I don't mean that. Um, I mean, there are some hope heroes doing amazing things in your communities who are trying to figure out solutions so that people can live life well, mm-hmm. you know, we're, we're gonna, we're gonna get through this. I'm convinced it's not going to be without pain and suffering. Yeah. yeah. Somebody, I just see the, the, uh, what, uh, Barb's just typed and I can tell you from a distance and I don't know the politics out in Washington that well. Um, but people here are watching, um, and there's been some amazing things and our ultra conservative Republican legislators are watching and doing some follow-ups that are things to be proud of. So, mm. yeah. Nice. So being in the Midwest, we have the luxury of watching the mm-hmm. coasts and how you're responding and what are, what are the right ways to do things um, or what are the better ways um, or what are the least horrible decisions? Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. So, sorry, got on a little. Yeah. 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 No, it's, it happens. Um, and, and again, anybody can answer a question, but that to me, that leads into one of the things we were talking about is, you know, so we're talking about, we've been talking about sort of one, those one-on-one connections with people and like cultivating, but, but like you, we were t- when we were prepping for this, you were, you were referring to a communication strategy of hope um, for, for groups of people and, and, and how maybe your state um, is, is thinking about that. I don't know if you want to touch upon that or. Yeah. 
Yeah, so, um, you know, we've, we've started to uh, really, and I'm working with our Oklahoma Department of Human Services, which is our largest state agency. Um, it um, is, oh, it's uh, Child Protective Services, Adult Protective Services, um, TANF, a whole host of, it's our largest state budget. Um, and so the idea is how do we how do we begin to think about our communication strategies from a hope centered framework and um, what we have to remember is that it's so easy for us to get caught into that emotional response of fear um, which then leads to this idea of despair and isolation so we have to figure out strategies that are more problem solving solution you know framework um, start being intentional about um, our hope um, in in that framework. So um, we actually, from our governor, um, again, uh, very conservative, Republican-led, um, has uh, made the initiative is called Hope Rising um, in our in our state. The first lady has made uh, that her platform um, and. So they're, they're taking on strategies and using the language of hope very, very intentionally. So I'm not sure I'm really answering the questions, but. Yeah. Uh, Can you give us an example of what that might look like? Um, let's see. Um, so one of the things that uh, DHS is doing is um, they are, uh, and they actually refer to them as hope heroes. So a uh, supervisor from the front lines can identify uh, a frontline worker, a community member, or somebody who is overcoming a barrier. So, you know, um, right now with the shelter in place that we have, um, families are not safe. Um, at all. And so how do we do home visits? How do we do these, these things? And so what they've found is that uh, these frontline workers are coming up with very creative solutions. So they're basically identifying mm. those, giving them space and visibility within the larger system and identifying them as hope heroes. And again, not from a framework of positive thinking, but on the creativity, the problem solving, and being driven by the value system of child welfare, that children are gonna be safe, right? That's what's driving. Um, again, I'm not sure I'm giving you very specific. Yeah, no, that's, things, it's but, good. Yeah, I think that that's a good example of, mm -hmm. You know, I, 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 one of the exercises that, that I often do with people is, you know, we can easily identify the people who get in our way and annoy us, right? Like we like to <laughs> yeah. go home at night mm -hmm. and complain about them. Um, but, and we always give, give lip service to the negative, but like who, you know, who are those people who, who opened the door, who, um, yeah gave you that 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 key to take the next step forward mm -hmm. i mean and, and it may be totally unintentionally uh, they just happen to be standing there and i That's think right. that it's a great exercise of gratitude to identify mm -hmm. those people at the end of the day and it's awesome for an organization to identify like who are those people who are you know we talk about innovation but like you know that's a thing uh, uh, that 
that people like to talk about, but like actually identifying somebody who's doing that and giving them a little space to do that mm-hmm. um, right. is huge. Yeah. The way that the, one of the strategies that they're also using is that every, every standing meeting, like staff meeting or, or whatever, starts with um, where have you seen hope today? Mm. Um, mm-hmm. And again, it's, it has to be described uh, in the goals pathway willpower. You can't just say, you know, hey, Chan was awesome today because, you know, he uh, showed up and he wasn't in shorts. By the way, I'm in shorts. And, and so, <laughs> you know, but, um, but it's, you know, here was, here was the goal. Here was the behavior. Here's the motivator. Here's the impact that it had on, on us. Nice. So, mm-hmm. so they start by remembering yeah. hope. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Nice. Nice. Thanks. And uh, Zelinda in the chat box um, wrote out for hope, helping one person every day. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Great strategy. Hope is a social gift. Um, and we have to remember that uh, people feed our hope. We feed others. Um, and in this time of social isolation, how do we stay connected with people? Um, yeah. And, uh, you know, that can be done in your neighborhood. Um, we have people in my neighborhood who will, uh, reach out and, you know, who needs groceries. I'm going here. Who needs X? Mm -hmm. Um, we have some elderly people in our street who, um, you know, will drop stuff off in front of the garage and step away and smile. You know, Mm -hmm. um, there, there are ways to do this. We, we can do this. Yeah. The beautiful thing about hope is it's such a core part of who we are anyway. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, it's, you know, yeah. I, I would argue that most of you are already doing a lot of this work. Right. It's just, how do you start thinking about it very intentionally that um, what you're doing yeah. is hope. And, yeah. you know, there are 2000 published studies showing that hope is the single best predictor of our capacity to thrive. So. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. And, and uh, I was talking to somebody about your work and, and I think that it's, uh, you know, your work has revealed a fundamental principle of being human. Like, you know, because when we were in small tribes, like, isn't that what we were doing? <laughs> right. Yeah. Like, yeah. oh, we want to not starve next winter. <laughs> so like, yeah. how, how are we going to arrange this as a community? And we had to do it as a community mm-hmm. and, I think in this moment, like sometimes, you know, before this moment, we, we became uh, uh, forgetful of how many people helped us manifest oh, our gosh. lives. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Wow. You know, um, so I was kicked out of college my fir- freshman semester because of my grade point average. Um, and um, that universe, I gave the graduation speech to that university in, in December. Um, which was pretty amazing. And my, and my speech uh, was titled Grace and Second Chances, right? Because we're all, we're all sitting here um, as a result of the second, third, and fourth chances that somebody, or in my case, throughout my life, <laughs> you know. Uh, I, if you've read the book, you know, you know my story of being homeless and a lot of adversity and... Um, I'm here because one or two people at key times in my life um, gave me that therapeutic moment. In, yeah. 
uh, we just we just so have to embrace that hope is mm -hmm. a social gift. Yeah, yeah, and we need to give it as much as we need to receive it. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The data is actually good on that. It it oh. if you serve, you give. Yeah, um, you will receive. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, in December, I think it was, I, I heard a podcast with our former, former uh, Surgeon General, whose name I can't say right now, but he was talking about the impact of the epidemic of loneliness, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. which, which we're, we're, of course, now just adding to and figuring out in different ways and calling out in some ways. But, he, you know, one of his his solutions was to serve, right? Like mm -hmm. is, is you connect, you reach out and connect. And, mm -hmm. um, and uh, so that, that, you know, that, yeah. that helps, right? And in that connection, hopefully you're bringing hope to right. yourself and others. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. What other questions do people have? I'm having a great time chatting with Jan, <laughs> but, but we've got uh, 28 other people in the room. Like someone else, uh, I'm sure, you know, has their own experiences and their own curiosities. Um, uh, I, I, there's a couple of people in the room that I would love to, to encourage to have a conversation with. Chan, because I, I want to hear more about their work. Um, so uh, I'm going to see it just. Are you private chatting? Yeah, I'm just yeah. going to, I don't want to put yeah. anyone quite. Well, while, while you're doing that, I just, I think that, um, you know, this is now, well, depending on where you live, that, you know, various stages of social isolation, but I do think that more and more ideas and creativity are gonna are coming out and being shared i just saw this um great video was sent to me by a friend who was doing a ballroom dance with himself with his hands on the mirror but it was really <laughs> effective it was I and mean, it was beautiful and i just thought like i would never in a million years think yeah. to do that but now i want to go try it because it looked like so much fun and so it is really, um, it gives me hope. It's really nice to see in this moment, people are, I mean, yes, there's a lot of negative publicity that we don't have to look very far for, but I feel like there is sort of a, a, a surge of, of creativity and, and positive ways and interesting ideas of um, things to do uh, to, to stay connected with each other and then also to, um, as important, I think, is to improve our relationships with ourselves and find a way to be okay with maybe a little bit more time with ourselves than than some of us may be comfortable with. And so I just yeah. been really appreciating that recently. Yeah. Um, so we do have a question that came in saying that um, Heather says she struggles to distinguish identifying the low willpower examples in the book. And Chan, could you help clarify? Yeah, it's been a little while since I wrote some of that. So maybe uh, do you have uh, a specific example or, or reference that you can help me with? Um, and I don't have the book beside me, so my apologies. Well, I think you could talk in general about, it's interesting for me using the HOPE survey and, and um, clinically and like 
Um, so I guess before I lead the question, I, I guess if you could identify some low willpower uh, stories that you know of, and then and then like how you approach them, because I think, mm -hmm. and then maybe I'll add some 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 other things that I think about in that scenario. Yeah. So one that comes to to my mind right right off the bat is uh, is pretty recent. Uh, uh, experience with the uh, uh, organization that I'm working with and um, so you have a, a parent uh, who is trying to work towards reunification um, with the with her child and so the child welfare system has all of these pathways that they that the parent has to achieve and um, so when you talk to the parent the parent is um, yeah I want you know I want I want reunification. You know, you you see and you hear the desire. The problem is, is that they just won't engage uh, in the work. They won't. Um, you know, they don't show up all the time, and when they do, they're kind of lethargic and kind of disengaged, and and so it's a it's a low willpower uh, situation, and um, not a lot of motivation, not a lot of mental energy to that, and so. What we did was we we basically light, laid out those steps, just like the stick shift graph that I had up there, all the little sub benchmarks. And working with the parent, what we found is that that very first benchmark that the parent felt that he had to accomplish was getting clean. And that parent had tried multiple times to quit. Uh, using substances and failed many, many times. And so while he desired the outcome, he was convinced he couldn't overcome that first step. And so he had basically um, given up uh, low willpower. So what we did in that context was we made, um, we made getting clean the goal. Mm -hmm. And then we stepped that back, mm -hmm. right? Because if hope begets hope, we have to begin to show that parent that the future is possible. They have to have some of those successes. Not that it's not clearly going to be a struggle, but um, so we break things down into much smaller uh, increments um, in that fashion. The, another time you see it is when you realize that uh, the, the person doesn't really desire the goal. Uh, I see this a lot with the youth and adolescents where uh, their source of stress is not being able to achieve the goals their parents set for them. Mm -hmm. um, and so there's not a whole lot of willpower to the goal itself that the parent has. It's the parent's goal, not my goal. Um, so again, I'm not sure I'm answering the question. Those are just two that popped into my mind. Yeah, th that's my experience in terms of low willpower is that, uh, so for me, how I kind of think about willpower is um, how the, does the body have enough power supply oh, yeah, to, yeah. to the brain mm -hmm. to, to facilitate a mind? And yeah. so addictions always disturb, you know, make it hard to have a mind and keep that focus, right? Yeah. That compassionate, mm -hmm. self-observant focus. And and then, um, yeah. and then if people are hypoglycemic, they're spending all their time in this really ugly limbic system <clears throat> and, and negative emotions and history mm -hmm. are there. And, 
Um, and yeah. so, which can happen with both populations, the adolescents who are going way too long and not sleeping at the right hours and, you know, who knows what their goal actually is. Um, and, um, and, then, and then with people who are struggling with addictions, not having enough, yeah. um, having food, food insecurity, which is never, like, it's shocking to me how that's never addressed in the dependency system. Right, right. Yeah. And, you know, the literature is actually growing pretty well in terms of the connection between uh, glucose um, yeah. and willpower, self-control yeah. uh, kinds of things. You know, I have um, was working with some um, foster uh, youth, and one of the things that they asked is that counselors and people that they work with um, put food uh, put protein right out on their desk for them to have. Well, because fo foster children don't always have permission to have snacks at their homes. Right. right? And so right. Um, finding that authentic way to connect with a, with, with a foster youth can be yeah. through food. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah. Maybe, Natasha, uh, mm -hmm. Heather, you can turn on your mic, but uh, the, the Spokane group has some really great um, sayings about food that, um, that, um, that maybe Heather is willing to talk about. It's kind of an interesting story. If you yep. want and to Heather, I think you need to, I unmuted you from my side, but you may need to do it from your side as well. Hi. There you go. Uh, some, some quotes about food. I'm, I'm, uh, I think I'm blanking. Oh, I'm so sorry. But uh, <laughs> it's either you or Ambrosia who, who gave me this great quote that, that offering someone food is always a cult culturally appropriate and compassionate. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. yeah. That that's probably uh that's probably ambrosia that. But I, I've heard, you know, I mean it's just it, it just shows people that you care when yeah. you offer them food. It it really does humanize them, especially when they're coming into their uh dependency court hearing uh so triggered not knowing where their children are, not knowing when they're going to see them again. And there's all these people uh, telling you all of these things that you have to do, right? And so, and feeding them and, and normalizing it is so powerful. And I, I really, I have a similar story about how I met Kristen um, at, at a conference as she does with you, Chan. And I am just so grateful that we met and that Protein for All, you know, just feeding people is, is humanizing them and showing that you care, you know, with yeah. the most simple gesture. Yeah. And then it can help them focus on the steps. I mean, the, the conversations that I've had with parent allies when, when parents are coming into that first hearing where you know th this is just overwhelming and they'll give a protein bar and they can now hear okay you're going to meet with your lawyer and this is what's going to happen when you meet the judge and versus just like staying as one parent ally was described as first shelter care hearing was want 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 you know because he hadn't eaten in two days yeah. so um, and for those of you, I'm not sure if everyone on the call you, 
is, um, yes, thank you, Heather. Um, I'm not sure if everyone on the call is familiar with the Protein for All program that we keep talking about. Um, and so uh, that's not really the focus of this particular time. Um, and we do have a, a couple other questions that came in, but I do wanna just let folks know that you can learn more uh, at proteinforall.org and, and we'll post that along with, with the recording here. Um, so you can kind of catch up. So it's, it is also um, sharing food, I think I would agree for sure in terms of that always, you know, being an act of camp compassion. And then when you have an understanding of the type of food that you share, that can also have a really big impact as well. So getting some, some sugars with protein and the importance yeah. of, of that in, in stabilizing um, the physiology piece. Um, related to this, I'm just going to share one comment and then um, read a, a question um, for Chan. Is um, Barb said that when she used to work for teens, she used to do what she called hamburger therapy. So again, that sort of uh, working over meals. But we have an interesting question um, from Sarah that came in the chat box saying she's always cautious about encouraging people to have hope, especially when they've had a history of trauma or failed hope experiences. She thinks having hope for a person who had that history can be exhausting and triggering. Um, and while she'd like to be encouraging in the face of apathy, but at times she feels like it's the opposite of what that person might need in the moment. And can you speak to that, Chan? Yeah, so uh, it's a great question. And uh, I think it really, um, really highlights why when we think about hope, we have to be very clear that we're talking about goals, pathways, and willpower. And part of that issue is that, um, you know, individuals who've had a history of those failed attempts, if we give them a goal and we don't walk down that pathway with them and help them navigate barriers and those pathways, uh, it is setting them up for potentially one more failed attempt uh, and can be. Uh, I, I just want to make sure that we, we distinguish between hope and a wish um, and I, I, I totally agree um, that we don't just um, nurture hope and then walk away um, with, with somebody in that, in that scenario. Um, so I, I appreciate the caution, but I also sort of think that if you're going to nurture hope with somebody, then we have to think about who are some hope models that can help lower hope individuals that can walk that journey with them. You see a tremendous number of programs, mentoring programs, for instance, or um, you know, just other scenarios that set up uh, a way in which an individual can be socially connected during that journey. Um, so my guess is, is that the question might be tied a little bit to uh, the, the idea of false hope. And uh, in our context, uh, if you have um, a desired goal um, and viable pathways to those goals, uh, we don't really think that that's false hope. Now, uh, I'm going to give a real quick example. But let's say that I'm working with a, a middle school child who has this history of failed attempts. And they tell me that their goal is going to be an NBA basketball star. Now, is that hope? Is that a wish? Is that a fantasy? Um, what I would argue is, let's go back to that stick shift slide 
where we have all of those arrows, which are the sub goals. And if that child is going to be an NBA basketball star, then the first thing they have to do is get drafted. If we, if we step that back and that's, that's what we call it is stepping, but step it back so that getting drafted means that I have to play in order to play. I have to be on a team in order to be on a team. I ha- and you step it back so that the first step is uh, let's say being in school, right? You have to, you have to be in school. We recognize that each and every one of us have the capacity to re-goal, but by going down that journey, we're building skill sets that allow them to be successful in that re-goaling. Mm-hmm. But you got to walk with them. You can't let them walk alone. Thank you. That's really yeah. a helpful example. What other questions do people have or want to dialogue with? Uh, we're going to go. Um, we originally we set the, this up for 75 minutes. Yeah, so we have about five minutes more. Oh, okay. So um, as people are kind of thinking about that, um, this is a large enough group. Uh, Chan, I don't know if you have a particular way that you like to wrap things up, but one of the things that uh, I always like to wrap things up with is to have uh, everybody put, uh, who wants to put in their chat box, like what, are they leaving with today in terms of like some tangible action or um, some little nugget? Uh, and I do that for, uh, for me and them because uh, one, I, I desperately want to be useful in my life. and That's, that's like me. And two, um, uh, what studies show is that if we tell somebody that we're, we're taking home an action or we're taking home something, we're more likely to use it and own it. And so, um, and so while folks are thinking about that and you can start um, putting that in the chat box if you'd like to, um, we did have a question from Sarah saying many times she only works with clients one time. And so do you have suggestions for a response to apathy if you're not going to have an ongoing relationship? Oops. And Chan, I think somehow you got muted. Um, I don't know if I did yeah, that. Yeah, no, oh, I, I did go. that. My, uh, my uh, coworkers at home were being a little noisier, oh. <laughs> I, uh, which included my 11-year-old granddaughter. Um, so uh, I actually do a lot of work with organizations that um, only touch somebody uh, one point in time. And you've got to figure out where you are in the pathway piece of that um, and recognize that if, if, if you only touch them one time, what is the step or the sub goal that is your responsibility in their journey towards well-being? And... Um, you know, I think about a receptionist in a domestic violence uh, facility, for instance, and their, their job is to sort of direct traffic as people come in. Um, but for them, it's creating an environment that nurtures hope, right? Because the client came in through the front door with a little bit of an elevated hope. So how do we, how do we create a scenario or a relationship or a moment in time that encourages them to take that next step. So uh, I, I, uh, I don't understand, or there's not enough time for, for you to explain exactly what you do so that I could understand the complexity of that. But 
um, each and every one of us can have the opportunity to have that therapeutic moment with somebody and mm -hmm. we should be intentional about that. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, I totally agree. It's, um, it's amazing how, how, how much like one touch can be if, 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 it, if, if we recognize that moment. And sometimes we don't even recognize that moment, it just happens. So, um, so a couple of people are writing in what they are taking from uh, this group and um, which is exciting. I see that some, that someone's talking about becoming a hope certified no, hope navigator, which I also am like, oh, that's what I wanted to do in the fall. <laughs> and I'm so excited that it's going to be virtual. Yeah. Uh, but uh, thank you, everybody. This has been a really wonderful dialogue. We, we will be posting this. I will let uh, Natasha sort of explain that process. And Yeah, so um, for those of you who are new to our community, um, feel free to go to either kristenallett.com or proteinforall.org to learn more about what we do. Um, the on those both of those websites, um, which are have slightly different focuses, but a lot of overlapping um, information and material. Um, it's on those blogs, which is where we'll be posting the video and the, the dialogue as well as the slide deck. So that's where you can look for them. And then um, if you would like, you're always welcome to join or sign up for our newsletter and stay in touch on future webinars and learning um, that we offer. Um, and uh, yeah, so I think I think those are the two places for uh, people to learn more about what yeah. we do and to stay in touch. Yeah. And then as well, um, through those newsletters for those uh, two different groups is where we'll be sharing um, once Chan has his, his schedule or knows if uh, a training is going to be available online or when he's going to different states. I know a lot of you today are from Washington, but not everybody. Um, we'll be sharing that information out as well. So there'll be ways to, you know, remain connected um, to Chan and what he's doing. And, um, and then we'll also be announcing when Chan has um, his own newsletter and stuff set up, which he, I know he's working on. So uh, until then, we'll, we'll be very excited to share that, but um, you can also stay in touch through, through our network. Thank you, everybody. Thank you for the time Thank and you. the opportunity. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. Thanks, everyone. We'll be in touch.